Well, hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Northfield Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Gordon. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be a part of the program today. As always, I want to say thanks to our friends at Outpost Coffee for providing us with incredible caffeinated beverages. Check these guys out, outpostcoffeeco.com. Well, on the program today, we have Pastor Chris Gore from First Baptist Church of Beggs, and we're going to have a great conversation. We're going to this is we're recording this the Monday before Christmas, so we're just going to get in to talk about ministry and life, and 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 how God has done a work in His heart to propel Him into the into the atmosphere to preach the good news, um, not only in Beggs but literally around the world. He's been on a documentary about uh, abolishing abortion. And so we're just going to talk a little bit about those topics and just hope the conversation encourages you as you walk through this Christmas week. Love y'all. Welcome to the North Field Podcast. Pastor Chris, how in the world are you, my friend? I am doing fantastic. How about you, Caleb? Um, brother, I'm telling you, uh, doing doing really well. Um, just, uh, you know, you, you make a decision at Labor Day to try to do a home renovation and Labor Day. Yes. <laughs> and you think it's going to be done, but you know, unforeseen circumstances, things that are out of your control, things that are out of the control of the contractor. I mean, it's nobody's fault. It's just one of those things that I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. It is, right. And yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all the craziness on top of it, kids and whatnot and everything else. And it just gets pretty wild. Yeah, you ask you ask the Lord for patience, and <laughs> yes, son, here, here you go. Here, <laughs> I will open the windows of heaven for you. <laughs> are you are you guys ready for Christmas? We are. Uh, I mean, we better be right because uh, it's coming right around the corner. Yeah, we've we've just about got everything done. We're in the mode now of kind of getting the house and everything ready to just enjoy uh, the rest yep. of the week. But, but as you know, as a, as a, as a pastor, holiday season, exactly. A, is, is kind of more difficult for us because there's all these days with all these family events, but Sunday still comes. Right. right? And so you still got to have a, a, the sermon ready. So you ready. It kind of truncates all the, you know, sort of office work that you would do. Yep. Uh, so you got to get that. Just trying to focus on that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wild. So um, I just wanted to have you on the podcast. I've been having a couple of different pastors on the podcast. Um, and I, I just wanted to, to, to just hear your heart and, and your in, in terms of ministry. Tell us how, how the Lord got a hold of you and then how, your call into ministry. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, so I, uh, I became a Christian when I was 10. I didn't, I grew up in sort of a, like a nominally Christian home. We would go to uh, different churches about once every month. Um, my dad is actually the son of a pastor. Okay. Uh, but various things had happened and he had just, you know, sort of grown away from the Lord a little bit. And, and so it was, it was actually through a baseball coach, uh, who said, Hey, if you want to come to my son's, you know, birthday party, you can stay the night, but if you stay the night, we go to church tomorrow. And I was like, Oh, wow. Fine. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So I went, uh, and then, you know, enjoyed it at first, just the time spent with other kids. And he would come and pick me up uh, every Sunday in the, in a church van. And I remember hiding, I remember hiding and like peeking through the blinds to see that he was, and now as an adult, I know that's totally obvious. Like you can so see that. Like if someone (laughs) peeks through the blinds, I felt very, 
like ninja ish. Like uh, I, anyway, I mean, you can't see yeah. me. <laughs> uh, but uh, the Lord used that uh, eventually. I just I even remember the I remember the sermon where it really was an awakening of my heart. Like yeah. all of a sudden, everything that the pastor was talking about felt very much like you need to listen. Like yeah. this is, and I remember gripping onto the pew uh, in front of me and uh, just really being like, just uh, obviously rocked by uh, the message and and my thoughts on eternity and my soul. And the Lord was just really using that. So that was it at 10. And then, you know, was in church throughout that time. And uh, it was as a, as a high schooler that I really, uh, felt a desire to uh to be a pastor and uh uh i probably was a senior in high school i i, I know i was a senior in high school uh, i was really wrestling with it and uh had all my plans for college and even applied to colleges and knew what i was going to do and where i was going to go and yeah. uh, the lord really said uh i think you're doing all that for selfish reasons and I think you're doing it, you know, to pursue worldliness and stuff like that. And, and so, you know, I decided, you know, it's an honorable thing to to shepherd uh, a body of believers. And I want to I want to give my life to that and, and study to be approved to do that. And uh, that was a shock to my family. It was a shock for from where they thought I was going and, and, and the plans. They, I remember my dad actually talked to the pastor, tried to tell him to talk me out of it. Uh, <laughs> don't don't do this. Don't go this route. Yeah, no, no. So uh, and so, yeah. Uh, I went there, uh, started, uh, you know, uh, studying at Oklahoma Baptist University in biblical languages, and then uh, it was during that time that I actually got introduced to this church here that I'm at. Uh, I was, uh, yeah, in Begs, uh, First Baptist Begs. My youth minister, when I was growing up, had come here to be the youth minister here. It was a really growing ministry at the time, uh, yeah. uh, you know, really a, a one church town, like sort of like a one pony town it was a, oh, yeah. it was a one church, one church town. And, and uh, so he was here and he asked me to come speak. And I came and spoke at a, like a fifth quarter, which is like a after high school uh, football game. Yeah. Uh, and then they asked me to, to come on and he asked me to work with him during the summer. And I did. And uh, he left to, to go on to another church, and I stayed and helped. And then this is actually the church that sent me to seminary. Oh, wow. And then, uh, lo and behold, I get done with seminary. And uh, as things uh, worked out, you know, I was do I was actually didn't think I would be coming back here, per se. I love the area. I love but It's funny. When I was first dating, my wife is from here. I met my wife here while serving here. Uh, I remember when we first were going out, I would always go back to like Shawnee during the weekdays and just come here on Sunday and, and help. Sure. But I remember when I was I was taking her out uh, for one of our first dates and we were trying to rent a movie. Uh, and they had nothing. And yeah, uh, yeah and block. But I said, well, where's your you know, we went, we went to like the gas station and like one rack of movies to choose sure. from. And. Yeah, and so she's like, "Oh no, we got to go to Sepulpa for that." So Sepulpa, she says, twenty minutes away." She's like, "You live twenty minutes from a blockbuster?" I said, "How do you people live like this?" You gotta uh, dedicate yourself to to yeah. the movie, man. You're you're dedicated. It's awesome. Yeah. So and and now you know, I love it here. I've I've been pastor here for 
16 years. Uh, oh, and Lord. yeah, and I don't, you know, I don't plan on being anywhere else. So, oh, that's so uh, awesome. Yeah. There is, my, my dad was the pastor of the church that I went to until I became a pastor myself, uh, until the, the, the Wednesday before he died. Um, mm. 30, almost four is 30, 35 years, close to 40 years. So, I mean, yeah, was, was faithful to shepherd, um, Trinity Baptist church here in town. Just that's the, to hear that you say that, and just the longevity is, is so incredible. It's so amazing. So, um, man, I, I love that. Um, what, uh, so tell us, um, so the first time I met you was actually at the the abortion clinic in Tulsa, and you yeah. were preaching on the sidewalk. Uh, our our mutual friend, Pastor Brett, um, he he had and asked you to preach, and you man, you just unloaded a message, and I literally stood there and I was just going, "Wow!" and it was it was incredible. So tell like, how did you get involved with the abolition movement? Well, it it actually happened uh, because of a Senate bill that was being pushed through, you know, uh, oh golly, I don't even know how many years ago that was. Uh, I'd like to say it's probably more years than I than I care to think. Uh, and and I was really weighing, you know, where to stand on the issues, and I hadn't really thought out, you know, why do I hold? I mean, I knew I was against abortion. Yeah. And I knew that abortion was was wrong, but I hadn't really thought of, you know, where do I put myself in terms of understanding biblical justice and what the Bible is actually calling for? Sort of just held myself in this this pro-life narrative that I had just sort of grown up with and just assumed. And I really started to wrestle with, you know, what is the righteous thing? Right. Uh, and as I as I did that, I actually went and uh, visited with a senator who had authored a bill, Senator Joseph Silk. Uh, and was talking to him, and, and it happened to be that as I walked in to really discuss the bill, I just want to discuss it. Sure. Uh, there's a guy named, named Russell Hunter there, uh, and so you know, I'm just sort of, uh, you know, just dialoguing with these guys and genuinely just trying to understand, uh, you know, where I think the the Bible would have me to stand, and uh, you know, worked it out that way and uh, eventually just came to recognize that the total abolition of abortion was the only biblical position that I could, that I could support. And uh, right. so, yeah. So then of course, then I realized, oh my goodness. And that, that was the real eye-opening thing was that when someone was like, oh, so, you know, would you like to go preach at the abortion mill? And I was like, there are abortion mills, aren't there? In our in our state, like I had never even you considered didn't realize it. Yeah, no, no, I hadn't. Even, like I knew it happened. I was like, it was always like this ethereal sort of thing that happened over there. And so I went and I I spoke at the abortion clinic. Really ministered there to women to try and you know get them to 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 not commit uh, these these uh, these murders. And I talked to abortion worker, like everyone and. Um, yeah, it was, it was very eye-opening, and, and I always, that's why I always encourage people. I was like, you know, if you're going to take a position on this, wherever you're saying you're going to stand, you at least need to go to the abortion mill one time. Yeah. Like, just it, go it, once, it, just to see what it's really like. My, yeah. So what really started it was my son, who at the time was a junior in high school, went down um, there with some, some mutual friends, and, and he was like, Dad, you've, you've got to come down here. And mm. I, I, I only went down a, a couple of times just because our schedules were just so wonky. But man, the couple of times that we were down there, I was just 
blown away by people because everybody makes the, the 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 thought process or statement that oh they they're having these abortions because they can't you know they can't afford it they can't and they're driving up in like ridiculous cars yeah. and I'm just like they're yeah. they're driving nicer cars than I'm driving yeah. And, yeah and they're screaming at you saying you don't understand what it's like we're broke and I'm like really mm-hmm. and 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 the the vitriol and the anger that comes at you is just you don't realize it until you stand there and see and, and we're not no one was there saying anything hateful no one was saying anything no yeah no one was saying anything to try to fight with anyone we were just simply saying come talk to us mm-hmm. give us an opportunity to persuade you not to do what you're trying to do we're pleading for the life of your unborn child that that's it no one was making fun no one was saying hateful things but mm-hmm. yet the way abolitionists are painted is in the light of just you're this monster of a man who mm-hmm. hates women who wants to see women pressed down oh, oh yeah and, and that's what you know you're, you're exactly right and and i remember i mean you go there enough you you see that you you see it's like a and that's just not like a one-day thing that's a very common sort of what is happening and right. i remember you want to talk about you know you hate women and and stuff like that i remember one particular instance because it was it was abnormal for me when they when they pulled up. It was a it was a pull up. It was a, a group of, of Asian men that pulled up two Asian uh, Asian driver and uh, and a passenger and this girl got out the back. And, I, and the, what shocked me was how little she was. Like that's a young girl. But yeah. she got out and we you know I really tried to to talk to her. Try to, to come talk to us. We'll help you any way we can. All this stuff. And and they drove away. And I remember they parked toward the back and they just sat and stood out there and, and smoked cigarettes and watched us. Uh, and I thought, I wonder what they're doing. Like, why are there two men here? Yeah. Like, why? And and I really would, you know, plead with them to do the the manly thing and protect sure. the child, protect her. Like all these things come and and talk to me. I'd love. They would just stand back there, and then eventually they get in the car, they pull up, uh, and they pick her up and they drive away. And I'm just I just happen to be watching the car. It it turned to the right to to leave clinic and i just thought man there's just something that is just off it's like there's something off about that when i left i drove by and if you know where the tulsa clinic is it's not in the best part of town uh or where it was it wasn't in the best part of town and i i drove back through a shopping center that's on the north side of that do you know remember that little shopping center back there yep that car was parked at the asian massage parlor and i realized that that young girl was probably being trafficked at the massage parlor and they were forcing her to get an abortion. Uh, so, and, and so they, they, I mean, this was, this was 15 minutes after they, I, I drove away. They're out there sitting at their car and she's, she's back inside the massage parlor. And I went, who's, who's, who's really against women here? Because it's a total, it's, it is a total front for sex trafficking, for pimps. Uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of that going on as well. Uh, so you have the people pulling up in Cadillacs or you have the people pulling up in Cadillacs, having the girls get out <laughs> who are being forced to get these, right. uh, yeah. abortions. So you've got both of those, you've got both of those sides and none of them, none of them are the women helped by keeping abortion legal. Yeah. And, and this is yeah. the thing that really struck me is for the, you know, cause I, my whole life I've been pro-life. I went to pro-life rallies. I did all the things we, we stood out and held signs and said, you know, we held the little baby, you know, mm-hmm you know, replicas of the fetuses yeah, to, yeah. trying to help people understand. 
And, and I was always considered, I was like, pro-life is good. Pro-life is good. But then I got to realizing there are so many pro-life senators and there's so many pro-life organizations that if a, if abortion was abolished today, they would lose their source of income tomorrow. And yeah. it now I am. And when you say source of income, you realize that some of them are making well over $200,000 a year. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, and that's what, so that's, that's what really got me to Caleb was when I was working to get these bills and I assumed that the pro-life would be on our side and they were the ones fighting the most strenuously to stop the abolition bills. Yeah. They were the ones who would go to the senators, the ones at, who would watch to see what senators we went to and go to those senators after we left, when we got the, the, that senator support would go after us and throw the weight of pro-life lobbying behind them yeah. to say, which for a lot of, for in Oklahoma, if, if the pro-life groups come out and will say, you know, this other person is more pro-life than you, even though you're an abolitionist, right. they'll say this other person is more pro-life, that, that can change elections, sure. it can change someone's, uh, you know, political standing. So it, it, it was a weighty thing. And that, that really was frustrating to me. It was, so going to the abortion clinic was eye-opening, and then going and pushing for these abolitionist bills and being opposed less by the, the left and more by pro-lifers. You know, it wasn't it wasn't Democrats coming in and shutting it down. It right. was the pro-life groups who would talk people out of supporting the bills. And, and that was the thing that blew my mind is I saw so many conservatives or Republicans or whatever you wanted to call them who said they're Christian conservatives who are saying, no, 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 we, we can't vict- we can't make the, the the woman's a victim. And if mm-hmm. you go to those clinics, the majority of the time. The majority, I would say 99% of the time, the woman is not a victim. It, it no. is, the baby is, is a, is a inconvenience to her lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is the thing that people, what about rape, Caleb? What about rape? And I said, I know someone personally who was raped and she, she was not at the time was not a believer and said, it's not my, the child's fault that the dad was a jerk. And, and, and wicked. So I, I, I'm not going to kill him. I'm not going to kill the baby. And she had this young man and he's a thriving member of the community on a mm. roll, plays in the band, does the whole nine yards. I mean, just a great kid ran with my boys. And it was like, they, they told us that one night at our house. And I was just like, Whoa. Whoa. That <laughs> was like, okay. Yeah. So uh-huh. people, when they say, well, what about, what about rape? I'm like, well, I have a really good friend who yeah. is, is proof that you don't have to kill your baby. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I just, my heart. And it's breaks. just never good. It's just never good to start a, a, a judicial system or a justice system where the children can be punished for the sins of the father. Absolutely. Uh, that's just not, that's not going to be good. So, yeah, it's wild. But, I, but that's I, an amazing story. It, yeah, it, it, it's crazy. <laughs> like, it, it, I'm going to steal that story. Go I'll be it, like, go. I know a guy. Come on. Who knows a guy? Yeah. Listen, uh, it was a while ago. We were in a, our house, and she just she openly tells us the story. And I, I literally, my jaw drops. And I was like, mm-hmm. because I even, just, and, you're, and you're right. It, it, even as an unbeliever, it makes it even more poignant. Because even as an unbeliever, they know. And that's the thing. Yeah. People are like, well, we have to make it unthinkable. We have to, I was like, everyone knows. They know it's a baby. Yeah. They know it's a child. They know this yeah. is wrong. 
it's 100%. not a matter of of knowledge it's a matter of if given freedom humans will often choose to do the wrong thing yeah 100% knowingly knowingly it's it's no. almost like it's almost like we we may be depraved in our almost as if totally i mean even. totally yeah. depraved, maybe, maybe. I, don't know. I don't know i don't know <laughs> Oh uh, man, well, yeah, that's uh, so that's that was so for folks listening or watching this, this was the introduction to to Kristen and I's relationship. I was standing on the sidewalk, he was preaching, and I was like, I, I gotta get connected with his brother. He is he's he's doing fantastic things. And then um if if you all don't get a chance or get a chance, you should go listen to him preach. You can find all his sermons online, um, first Baptist bags, right? But B E Yeah, FBC bags. FBCbegs.com, FBCbegs. We have podcasts on uh, Apple and our sermons are on YouTube, of course, Facebook. Stuff like that. So, Absolutely. Yeah. It's great. So what, uh, as you started a school. I did. Talk about your school. The foundry. It's, I was actually kind of disappointed that I'm not wearing a cardigan. As soon as I sat down and turned on <laughs> the, the camera, I went, you're not even in a cardigan. Like, what are you doing? This is my... I was. Uh, That's your thing, man. Is the cardigan? Yeah, I, know. I was like, this is ridiculous. Uh, so yeah, we we started a, a school now three years ago. Okay. Uh, and we're still right now. We're still by invitation only. We hope to open that up this next year. Uh, okay. But what we wanted to be was we wanted to build something generational for the town of Beggs and the Old Mulgee, Southern Tulsa area uh, of just a. Uh, like a like an educational hub uh so where people would get good quality christian education where, where god wasn't just always a part of the education but where he was the core of every subject well so go. every subject is built so that's the idea our our motto as the foundry is melted by his glory molded by his word so the idea is we see who god is that sort of just melts us and, and help us to know and then his word then shapes who we're supposed to be uh so every subject comes from that very theocentric uh you know vision where we're not just tacking god onto the end he, he's the he's the source of, of understanding everything and so we we very much borrow from a classical education model um but we also do things like uh we are also very we want we're wanting to raise not just educated uh people who understand the arguments and can dialogue back we're a very dialogue centric sort of uh, model, especially in the older groups. Right now we break up into younger kids and older kids. Uh, the younger kids are just learning more of the memorizations and dates and stuff yeah. like that. The older kids, it's a very much, we try to make it very much a dialogue. Uh, so for example, our, our government class is gonna meet uh, tomorrow. Joseph Silk actually teaches our government class. Oh, uh, but this semester is almost like a colloquial sort of model. Yep. So we uh, we will sit down. They're going to sit down for like two, two and a half hours on a Tuesday. We make coffee and these older kids get together. We throw out a, a government issue and we sort of hash it out. We might tell them to take, you know, you take this side, you take that side, uh, you know, and um, we just work, work through that. Yeah, but we awesome. we also focus on the practical. So uh, we have uh, sewing classes, we have music classes uh we have uh you know we're gonna we're starting up what we call foundry uh tech the idea is we're gonna teach young men uh we have an outdoors class as well we've got uh we, we've got starting in january we'll have like a homesteading class that is homesteading slash uh family business 
uh, class. So it's also going to teach like cottage, how to get into cottage industry stuff for, for ladies who are staying at home and yet wanting to, uh, to help out there. So uh, that'll, that's starting in January class, uh, you know, on that. And then we'll teach like uh, general plumbing, electrical, uh, HVAC, those sorts of things, just to make, uh, you know, well-rounded men, men who are able to uh, really have dominion over their uh, sphere there, okay. uh, instead of always having, you know, we found out that, you know, a lot of us men were, we always are having to hire things out to, you know, technically, we don't really understand the ins and outs of everything. Uh, so, you know, uh, giving, giving that level of education there too. So, it's awesome. yeah, we, we want, and, you know, we'll, We've got we've got like a ten year vision, and of oh. course, like a, a we like I said, we want to be generational. So we're wanting to put something in place to where if you if you want to be taught something, we will help it to be taught. We'll mold it and have it uh, uh, have it done here. So we we teach uh, we're going to offer to teach homeschoolers how to get into homeschooling. You don't like some people may not want to join the foundry and go through our six year curriculum that we've got for the older kids. They yep. may say we really love homeschool, but we're just trying to get into it. We don't know how. We'll offer homeschool like mentorship. Yeah. Uh, we'll offer the private school model uh, as well. You can come part time. You can come a la carte. You can take certain classes. You can go through the whole thing. Uh, we just want to make something that is going to uh, help people to uh, take a, a real lead in the education of their children, where we sort of uh, help that, complement that as best we can, and help them to uh, you know just center all their education in God and His glory. Man, it's so great. We you see the insanity of the public education system, oh, yeah. and and you have a beacon of hope. And so, man, I I applaud and I thank you for being a man who's willing to step into that to that sphere and and take dominion in that area of education. So that's man, it's so 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 good. Um, just in a couple minutes that we got left here, what uh, as a pastor, what do you, what if you could sit down with a group of people and and give them just just a couple minutes of what's the most important thing what would you say to that group of people uh of course if you're talking like most important thing and then i'm wanting to talk to them about you know christ and sure. all of that but uh, if if i'm saying you know right now what is uh what is something that i think christians are needing to grab onto in in our current uh, sphere. It's gonna. I'm gonna be cheating because it's kind of what we've been talking about. Uh, sure. And I say that because uh, I think it's a real deficiency. We've been walking through the Lord's Prayer, uh, and I think just a deficiency in understanding the Christian and our need to pray, uh, deliver us from evil. Mm. I think. Yeah. I think. I think as uh, as Christians, we 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 really don't understand. Uh, you know, the the spiritual realm that is at work out there. Uh, and we either become, um, we just ignore it, right? We just ignore it. And, and I think we've just become more materialistic than we've realized. We, we would all eschew evolution. Evolution's crazy. We've taken on sort of a materialistic view of, of creation uh, as, a, as a whole. I encourage you, go read Psalm 89. It's really good. Uh, but uh, I, I would say we either do that yeah. Or we become just petrified of anything spiritual. You know, it's that old, no one likes to walk through the church alone at night. Uh, sort of thing, you know, like, so I think we've, we've gone one of the two ways. And I th don't think either one is right. I think we need to understand there's a very real wicked unseen realm out there. But there is also a great and glorious uh, heavenly father 
who is omnipotent, who is the almighty one, and who has a host uh, that encamp around uh, his children. And so I think if, if I could, if I could encourage anything to Christians, I'd say uh, to be more militant uh, in really advancing the gospel wherever they are to see that they've been placed in their city, in their church mm. uh, for a reason. They are uh, little outposts of the kingdom. And you know, my wife and I, my wife and I have a podcast called Kingdom Outpost Podcast. That's kind of the idea is our, we see our house as an outpost of the kingdom of God and yes. we're to minister to the people around us. We're that city on a hill. We got to shine. So we're going over. We see our neighbors. We see our neighbors as uh, enemy territory that we want to invade and we want to Mom. rob them from the prince of darkness and and let the Lord use our, our the proclamation of the gospel from our mouths and the presence of the gospel in our lives to pull them out of that kingdom of darkness, place them in the kingdom of the sun. And so just to be more, just to, just to, to, to take on that, uh, uh, that mission of, uh, because Christ is Lord, because he is reigning, putting all his enemies under his feet, like you then confidently can go across the street to your neighbor. Uh, and you can also, our church also, we, we're, we just started a, a pastoral training center in tanzania africa you can also do that uh and you're but you're doing whatever the lord has placed in front of you right. and you're exactly. doing it uh you're doing it militantly and you're doing it intentionally and you're doing it confidently uh you're not going well we're going to do this but i bet it's not going to work you know i bet it's not going to work but we're gonna you know, it's we're gonna work powerful the gospel is very powerful the lord uses it uh blesses to a thousand generations so just just go uh and and uh, see where the lord has put you and see that as intentional have the confidence then to be his soldier wherever you are that's Come what on. i would encourage you with. i love that and that is that's I, I everybody listen listen to pastor chris y'all need to catch what this brother has because i'm telling you that's how we win we we don't mm -hmm. um, we don't come in half-hearted and, and just sort of going, well maybe it's going to work no it's going to work the gates of hell can't can't prevail against the church yeah. and so let's go like let's let's just jump in both feet so I, man thank one you. of the one of the scariest things to the gates of hell is your family's dinner table uh, you can invite whether it's with oh. your family or you inviting neighbors over to sit around your dinner table and just you show them hospitality you show them oh. love of strangers when the rest of the world is so self-centered that's a that's a scary thing when the enemy hears that you've invited one of theirs over to your table inside the, the kingdom's camp uh it's a frightening thing i love it i love that that is man that's our goal for um gumps kicking off in 2024 finishing up this year but mm. really jumping in 2024 is we're, we're gonna we're getting bigger tables and we want yeah. more we want more people in and so that's mm. that's been a thing for us as a family so man thank you for encouraging me in that and, and our listeners as well um man just a blessing to have you on the show so I, I appreciate you for being here today and taking time out of your schedule to to talk to us for just a little bit thanks caleb so much absolutely my brother <laughs>